Thank you for joining us on Theology Refresh. I'm David Mathis here with Jason Meyer. Jason, thank you for joining us. Pleasure to be here. And our topic here is pastoral preaching. Jason, let me have you define that. You've studied this, you've written on it, a forthcoming book with Crossway. What do we mean by pastoral preaching? Uh, yeah, a couple of points I think that are essential. Pastoral preaching is a long line of uh, history preceding that pastoral preaching. There was any time in the New Testament or the Old Testament when you had God having the word as his property, he would then sometimes speak it directly to people, but oftentimes he would then give it to someone else as a steward of his word, say Moses or Abraham or the prophets or something like that. And at that point, someone becomes a steward of the word and God aims for them to become a herald of the word. So once he entrusts someone with the word, then he asks them to deliver it to an audience, his intended audience. And therefore, we can look at what the uh, patriarchs did, what Moses did as a mediator of the old covenant. We can look at what the prophets did. We can look at what Jesus did as the one who was the fulfiller of that message of salvation that the prophet said, but then also paid for the good news. And then we can look at the apostolic preaching. And finally, the era we're in of pastoral preaching. So now I think what's really essential to see is that the question becomes what has been entrusted. So each person in this line could have been entrusted with an oracle or a message or even Ezra being entrusted with the law in which he was required to study it in order to then proclaim it. And I would say the pastoral preacher has been entrusted with the whole counsel of God, with the completed canon. And therefore, they have to be a steward of it. That's why in the pastoral epistles, you get the calls to study the word, to show yourself approved, rightly handle the word of truth, preach the word. So pastoral preaching for the first time is really a person having a congregation, a flock. You see in the book of Acts that the apostles are not pastors. They don't have a congregation. They're doing mainly evangelistic preaching. They're doing church planting in large measure. And then in the pastorals, you start to see pastoral preaching of a person with a flock uh, and he's supposed to preach the word. So I, my definition for it is at one level conceptually to say it's stewarding and heralding the word of God in such a way that people encounter God mm. through his word. And then also, if you want to talk about a method of it, I think a method for pastoral preaching would be to say what the word is, to show what the word is, and then to shepherd where the word leads. So just like you're called as an expository preacher to have the main point of the passage become the main point of the message and then apply it to the life of the congregation, I'm trying to add a middle step where you say, you don't just say, take my word for it. You say what the text says, but then you show the evidence for why you think it says that. You invite other people to become stewards of the word. You don't have them take your word for it. So pastoral preaching belongs to that category of redemptive history in which we're in the church age and we have the completed canon. So it seemed to be a fair summary to say today's pastor preachers are more like Timothy and less like Jeremiah. 
right. to compare those two. Right. What, what, are so, what are some more differences that makes in having that mindset, having this awareness of redemptive history, the stage at which we're in, how does that help you in preparing and then delivering a sermon? Right. I think if you're called upon to be a steward of the whole counsel of God, you start to look at some other differences that you have with people in the past. I mean, when we study the Bible, we're studying inspired preaching. So people who were not going to make mistakes and they didn't have a completed canon. And so now our preaching in this pastoral era has to reckon with the fact that we're not inspired and that we have a completed canon, not just an individual oracle. So I think that makes a strong argument for expository preaching as a pastor because most people learn to read their Bibles from their pastor. And what you want to try to do is teach them how to read the Word of God so that they become stewards of it as well. So one of the key differences is going to be not only seeing what the Word says, sharing what it says, but then as a congregation trying to shepherd them where the Word leads. In that sense, we're a little bit more like Moses having a flock, a group in the wilderness trying to take them from point A to point B, and you have to be concerned for the flock and how this is going to land on them and them trying to steward the Word. So having this canonical awareness of the, the completed canon and this deposit that you steward and herald, mm -hmm. how does that affect uh, perhaps the perspective that you bring to an Old Testament text or don't bring? Uh, what does it mean to, to preach an Old Testament text as a Christian? Right. From the canonical perspective that we're in, if you're going to preach the whole counsel of God, some people get excited about, say, preaching a long series on Jeremiah. And if you say the main point of the passage is the main point of the message, well, you could preach weeks and weeks and weeks where the main point is judgment hmm. and where you're not really bringing in gospel centrality to it. And so if you take the completed canon as your guide, you know that what is going to pass for a Christian sermon as you're preaching Jeremiah cannot be the same thing that would pass for a sermon in a synagogue or in a mosque. It's going to be distinctively Christian in that we understand judgment now from our era in redemptive history, like Acts 17, where Paul says, judgment's now been given over to one man. God has given proof. He's overlooked the times of ignorance, but now he's actually raised somebody from the dead and given proof that he's now judging people by that resurrection. So now judgment doesn't make any sense from our time period unless we understand the resurrection and what God has done in Christ. So you're going to bring gospel centrality to bear because you're not really going to be faithful to the Bible's message in Jeremiah if you haven't read the whole canon and treat it in the light of that. Mm -hmm. So you know, as we talk about exposition and say topical preaching, mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned the importance, perhaps primacy of, ex of expositional preaching. Mm -hmm. And at Bethlehem, we just went through a January sequence where your topics were given to you and they were mm -hmm. topical messages. How do you think through expositional and topical as a preacher? Right, I think you have to make a distinction between a topical method and a topical series. So you can have a topical series, um, say on the topics that we take in January, word, prayer, sanctity of life, racial harmony. And you could say as a method though, I'm going to treat these topics textually 
from an expository method. I'm going to take a text that addresses this and teach my people how to read the Bible and how to think about this topic all at the same time. Uh, an expository series, though, I would still argue is going to be the best way long term to feed your people because the book itself is going to give you the right balance and the right proportionality. And if you do a topical series, you're leaving yourself open because of the doctrine of sin to your own hobby horses. Why did you pick that topic? Or you're going to leave yourself open to the, uh, the, the thinking of people where they're looking and discerning, huh, why did you pick that topic? I, I remember when I was a pastor in Kentucky, I was preaching through the Sermon on the Mount, and somebody said, I can't believe how brave you are. And I said, well, what do you mean? Well, you preached on divorce. Don't you know how many people here are divorced? I said, no, I just got here, but I didn't pick it because of that. It was just the next text. And so you trust that God's word has the right proportionality, has the whole counsel of God that all the people of God need. So uh, as one who's studied preaching, now written on it, and is practicing preaching on a weekly mm -hmm. basis, as you survey the landscape, any general concerns you'd have? What, what word of encouragement, exhortation would you have for the typical preacher? Knowing that your vantage is limited, but how would you help the, the typical preacher listening to this podcast? I think the most important thing to recognize is as you see more famous internet preachers or our day people talk about celebrity preachers, one of the most important things to do is to find your own voice not try to be a parrot of someone else, but to really discover that heralding, you can't start there. Stewarding has to precede heralding. And if you become somebody that likes to copy the substance of what others do, you're never going to be a first-hander. You're never going to find an authentic voice. And something's not going to flow from you with power unless it's first started there in your own heart and as you try to be a person that is meeting God in a first-hand way that then can be a first-hand witness. I'll never forget the difference between being a first-hand witness and a second-hand witness and when I was uh, growing up I was maybe I think a senior in high school went to a, a ski slope with one of my friends and what happened was somebody uh, as we were going up on the ski slope uh, my friend actually witnessed an assault and I, I didn't see it. He told me all about it. Later on, uh, we were pulled aside by some of the authorities, taken into a little room, and they asked me, uh, they asked my friend first, we, we think that you might have witnessed an assault. Did you see anything? And he totally chickened out. Hmm. So no, I didn't see anything. And so I had this moral feeling when he asked me, like, oh, I know about this. I think I need to tell him. And at that point, they said, did you witness anything? And I said, I did. And then he said, well, what did you see? And I was desperately trying to remember what my friend said to me. And I just began to, to sweat, thinking, this doesn't feel authentic. I'm, I'm not being a firsthand witness. And then he said, now you know if this goes to court, you're, you're going to have to testify. Hmm. And I, I never forgot. I, thankfully, I didn't have to. But I never forgot and always vowed I don't ever want to be put in that position again where I'm a second-hand witness. I want to be a first-hand witness as a steward of the Word of God and then herald what I've seen, what I've loved, what I've heard. Amen. Thank you, brother. Would you pray that for our listener? 
Father in heaven, would you, Lord, cause your face to shine upon those who are listening to this, those who are wanting desperately to handle your word rightly. Would you give them a passion for stewardship? Would you speak to them in very real, tangible ways through the word of God? Would you give them a passion for the gospel? Would they find you to be completely sufficient? Would they find you to be the treasure that they've been looking for and then be able to commend you in a firsthand way, not the Jesus that someone else preaches, but the Jesus that they've found and therefore can preach in a very winsome, powerful, firsthand way. Do this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.